When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together, we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. What I came to learn from ultimately is to trust life. To trust life. I trust women. You know, they, we have, we're living in an era so exciting that women are not about to step back, you know, and that's exciting. I trust that. I trust women's voices and fierceness. I trust life. And now I believe that goodness shall triumph and hope shall triumph. And at the end of the day, love is bigger than all. That was Zainab Salbi, whose boundless energy and compassion led her to start a world-renowned nonprofit, Women for Women International, and made her one of the most honored humanitarians in the world. I'm Milan Verveer, and this is Seneca's 100 Women to Hear. We are bringing you 100 of the world's most inspiring and history-making women you need to hear. Zainab Salvi grew up in Iraq. Her father was Saddam Hussein's personal pilot, and she came to the United States as a young woman. In 1993, she launched Women for Women, which works in the world's most dangerous places for women. Afghanistan, the Democratic Republic of Congo, Iraq, South Sudan, and more. Over the years, it's helped half a million women and distributed more than a hundred million in aid and micro loans to them. In 2011, Zainab stepped down as CEO of Women for Women and went on to become a familiar face and voice in the media as a commentator, as an author, as a talk show host and podcast host. Listen and learn why Zainab Salbi is one of Seneca's 100 women to hear. I'm speaking today with Zainab Salbi the founder of a global nonprofit organization serving women in very difficult straits, author, commentator, 
TV host, Zainab, it's such a pleasure to have you with us. Oh, Milan, the pleasure is absolutely mine. Thank you. You do so many things. You've done so many things. Most famously, you founded that wonderful global organization, Women for Women International. You've written four books, including a memoir about growing up in Iraq. You host interviews with women of consequence. You often appear as a commentator on news programs. And you just started another nonprofit to combat climate change. We have so much to talk about today. (laughs) But let's begin by um, my asking you, how would you define Zainab Salbi? I was just thinking about that, actually, the other day, because as you said, there are many (laughs) things that I've done. I think I am someone who believes in bringing people together. Ultimately, at the bottom of all what I'm doing is trying to bring people together. And the focus of it has been women and marginalized voices. Um, and because I do see us, you know, as one, as, you know, in, in, coexisting in this earth. And what's the point of our fighting and division and all of that when we're actually all one under, under the divine and, and in this earth? So that's what I would say. I would say I'm a humanitarian All these things are just labels, but that's ultimately what I stand for. Well, that's beautiful. And knowing you as I do, I think it's it's well said. So let's go back. Uh, You grew up in Iraq. What was that like? And how did that influence all of these things that have come after? Growing up in Iraq was a combination of fear. You know, I grew up knowing Saddam Hussein and my family um, my father was his pilot, and we were close to him. And fear was a defining moment, not only because we were close to him, but because you know, fear in the entire country. You know, we we, were, we always looked behind our back. We were always were spied on, and you know, you know, our homes were bugged and etc. So that's one element that really stayed with me. And so on that issue, I I constantly find it amazing whenever I I've been thirty one years in America, and I'm still excited when I can speak my mind and not be afraid that I will be punished for that. And so fear was a defining moment. And so I spent a lifetime searching for freedom. But the freedom did not come out of the blue. I also grew up with a very strong woman. I would say the first feminist I would I have met, which is my mother, who at a young age, I mean, she made me read all kinds of books about women's rights. I, I mean, I was 13 years old and 14, 15 years old. She made me read about roots here in America. She made me, she would tell me that I have to always be strong and always be independent and never let anybody speak to me or talk to me or touch me in the wrong way. And, you know, so yes, we were living in fear, but on the other hand, I had this woman, this mother who was telling me, installing these values in me and that helped save me when later in life I found myself stranded in America and escaping an arranged and abusive marriage and what stayed with me was I have to be strong I have to be independent and I shall never let anybody talk to me or touch me the wrong way as my mother had told me and that made all the difference in my life. So how did you leave Iraq and under what conditions? 
Well, I left Iraq under an arranged as a in an arranged marriage, which is a lot of people think an arranged marriage is a forced marriage. All of that I, that was not the case for me. I came from a very secular family and a very liberal family, and it was more like my mother saying, "There is a marriage proposal outside in America. Please go and accept." And I'm like, "What? You know, you told me I should make my choices and I should find the one I love." And she's like, "Just," and she was like, "Just." crying hysterically and just like, just please say yes and leave. And I don't care what you do with the minute you arrive in America, just leave, you know. And ultimately, I wanted to be, I mean, I, I loved my mother so much and I was her only daughter. And when I saw her crying hysterically, I just honestly, at the end of the day, I wanted to have her stop crying, you know. And so I said, okay, okay, yes, yes. Um. And until the last minute, my father was against it. My mother was saying, I need her to leave the country. And But that's how I came. I came as a bride to this uh, strange man who was much older than me. And, you know, I, yeah. again, I wanted to be a good daughter. My mom was like just crying, e- even in our way to the marriage, it, to the wedding itself uh, in Chicago. And they left soon after. And unfortunately, within a month, Iraq invaded Kuwait. And I could not, I end up not being able to speak to my mother and my father and my brothers for nine years afterwards. And I was, I found myself in this marriage with a a very abusive man who did all the things my mother told me not to accept. So three months later, I managed to escape. Um, You know, Milan, there's so many discussions about immigrants and immigrations and DACA and all of that. And my case, that was 1990. I escaped from this abusive marriage. I had a return ticket from my, to my country. I, did, I had $400 in my pocket and I did not know what to do. I couldn't even go back to home. So I went to the immigration office. I lined up at 8 a.m. And I remember the, the immigration officer who you know, was behind the desk and I just vividly actually, you know, and she, I said, here's my passport. Here's my ticket. Here's my story. I don't know what to do. I'm scared. I don't want to be, you know, I don't want, I need to work. I need to live. I, I or send me back home, but I can't go home. So you tell me what to do. I don't want to be illegal. I, you tell me what to do. And bless her soul. I mean, I wish I know her name. Bless her soul. She took me um, to the second floor. A few hours later, she came back with a work permit that allowed me to work and earn a living here. And that's how I started my life in America. Uh, I, my first job was a Hallmark salesperson, you know, a, a clerk. And and here I am, 31 years later, later, different person. What a remarkable saga. And in a strange country, all of this happening to you. But then you went on to found Women for Women International, and that is a big deal. How did that come to happen? And why did you start the organization? How did you see the need for it? Well, you know, I, it, I started the organization within three years of my arrival in America. Actually, even less, you know, I started, it, it was my first time. I, first of all, I went back to college. I started learning women's studies I, I, and sociology. And it was my first time to learn of wars that are outside of my country, you know, being in, from Iraq, um, 
I grew up in the Iran-Iraq war, and also we were not having access to international media. So it, I really was very inward looking in, into the country and Iraq and all of that. And though my family traveled all over the world, I was not allowed to think politics. And so it was my first time to see that there are another, there's another country in war. This time is Bosnia, that there were rape camps and concentration camps, um, you know, taking women from all over, from nine years old to eight years old, as you know, you know, and, and while I saw injustice in Iraq, I saw injustice in Iraq. I just couldn't speak about it. You know, it was dangerous to speak about the injustice in Iraq. It would have killed my family or punished my, my father, you know, and it was too much of a responsibility. And so, but then now I was living in America, a country that, you know, enabled me to speak up my mind and, you know, if anything, rewarded me for that speaking up my mind, you know. And so I felt a responsibility that now that I am living in freedom, that I must use that opportunity to help other women who do not have that freedom. I felt it as a basic responsibility. I did not know anything about Bosnia. I had no idea where it existed, even geographically. I knew Yugoslavia at that time, of course. But, you know, I had to, like, teach myself their history and their language and their religion and culture. Like, I really taught myself. It wasn't about who they are. It wasn't about my connection to them. It was that there was an injustice and I ha- I can do something about it. While if in my teenage life, I saw injustice and I couldn't do anything about it. And so that's how it started. Everyone laughed at me. I was 23 years old, a kid, immigrant from America, English, my second language. My family is not there. I had remarried to a wonderful man, um, Amjad Atala. Um, and, but everyone was like, get a job, you know, go and buy a house and a car. And what are you doing caring about a country we don't know, you don't know anything about. And But I felt an obligation, a human obligation. And it started with helping, it started, I remember, September 1993 by distributing aid to 33 women. Uh, the program started and still is, you know, I asked every woman to help sponsor one woman at a time by sending her $30 a month and along with a letter and a picture um, for one year only. And that's how it started. At that time, it was $20 a month and started with helping 33 women in that September. And Lord and behold, you know, gosh, more than 27 years later now, um, you know, we've helped more than 460,000 women and distributed $146 million to women survivors in wars in different parts of the world. And so the journey made me believe that in the possibility of change, that, you know, if I, an immigrant with no family, with no money, with no resources, with, you know, with just a goal and a belief could do that, then anybody could do that. There was nothing, nothing special about me. If anything, I got maybe a support from my husband at the beginning and eventually from different women who joined and eventually from different leaders who supported and that made all the difference. But my start was very humble. Very humble, but the goals were extraordinary because women were going through everything that conflict represents in terms of upheaval. And Women for Women was really providing an opportunity for them to sustain themselves economically, to get back on their feet. And I wonder now with the situation in Afghanistan being what it is, I know you and I spent some time in Afghanistan together when you were 
uh, still with Women for Women. What do you think is going to happen to the women there now? And what should we be doing to help them? Well, I was actually just in conversation with the CEO and the program director of Women for Women International. And, and though I resigned about 10 years ago now, I'm, I'm blessed that the organization is doing well and thriving. And I love the CEO and the team over there. And what they told me is very upsetting and very sad story. So what they said is that the it's been a year in progress, actually, what they said is that a year in progress where the Taliban are assassinating women who are outspoken, who are journalists, who are scientists, who are just active in the public life. And it's been a year of that assassinations, basically. And and so they said when they are expanding right now, you know, or expanded in the last few months and start taking over provinces, people were giving up uh, their arms and just saying, okay, 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 well, we surrender just because they did not want any further killing. What's more upsetting even than that is that flyers, I mean, I have copies of them, have been distributed in these provinces with official Taliban stamps on it that with the new or old rules that women can no longer leave alone, that they can no longer take off their hijab, that men have to grow their beard and can no longer shave their beard, no more music. No, It's, it's a reversal back to what we spent two decades fighting against. And it's very, very upsetting. You know, Women for Women is planning to stay there um, with a lot of security precaution, you know, for our local staff. But, you know, we worry. I mean, we worry like, you know, we're having plan B, you know, but, but you know, everyone is worried about can international NGOs stay there? Can there be money continuing to support all the progress that women have made in the last two decades? You know, I mean, they're like, there's one thing is not to be able to defend it. There's another thing not to be able to use diplomatic measure, but can we make sure that development money continues out there so we don't abandon them because they will need resources. So it's it's very sad, it's upsetting, very upsetting. Uh, they feel abandoned. They feel, um, and, uh, and a combination of saying, okay, yes, we do need, you know, our own country, but also they feel abandoned and, and scared. And it's, it's um, I don't know how it leaves me, Milan, the truth is it leaves me in a very ambivalent uh, way of, uh, upset, being very upset, to be honest, you know, um, at the situation. Well, there's every reason to be upset. And and the fact that they have indeed made so much progress there over the last 20 years when you first became engaged, as did so many others. And to think now the push, this horrible push to set them back, to erase all the gains, to take girls out of school. It's really heartbreaking. And I know a lot of work is going on just as Women for Women is determined to stay, to try to keep things uh, moving in a better direction, but it's very hard under the circumstances. You know, thinking about Afghanistan, thinking about Bosnia, thinking about your founding this organization to really help women who find themselves in conflict zones, I wonder what you think overall. Have women made progress for better, or has it just gotten worse? What's your view of how far we've come or need to go? It's a good question. And I got to tell you one thing before I answer it, actually, is because you've heard me say, I know you share that value, that women are bellwether to the direction of society and that we need to 
see what's happening to women, to read the political over the overall political situation in that country. And had we done that in Afghanistan, we would have noticed, you know, that women have been targeted in the last year. And we would not have been surprised that the Taliban are taking over so fast. And we perhaps would have gone about the withdrawal in a different way, you know, had we actually really seen women as a bellwether for the direction, not only about women's rights, but the political and the economic direction of a society. Now, when I go back and, you know, look at your question, as you mentioned in your inter- you know, earlier is, you know, I recently co-founded um, a group called Daughters for Earth. And this honestly came to me where people saying, how can we mobilize women in climate change? And if, and I'm not a climate change expert, so I took my time in truly researching the, you know, role of women in climate change and all of that. And this is a long way to answer your question. Because when I realize that women in environmental movement get two cents out of every dollar that goes to all climate change and environmental justice, I was livid. I was like, oh my God. I've been working on women's rights for the last, you know, almost 30 years, you know, and we have made a lot of progress, a lot, you know, the the movement forward in Afghanistan, the, you know, the Me Too movement, we have more women in politics than ever in America. It's all progress, all wonderful progress. And still, we are talking about two cents going to women out of every dollar in, 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 as it relates to in development or environmental or making changes, you know, in the world, that was like, that got me. I was like, okay, no, 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 no. So it's, I guess it's two. It's both, you know, we have made a lot of progress and I don't doubt that this century is the feminine century. The 21st century shall be the feminine century or, or else we won't exist. I mean, our own humanity is at stake at the moment, you know, and, you know, so I have, I feel like there's more energy in women than ever before. I feel everyone knows the power of women. I feel more women know their power and and there are still not many resources going to women. And until we change that, we are still working on the issues of marginalization as it comes to women. Well, and that's such a good point you made about climate and the investments in adaptation and mitigation. Women are so severely vulnerable, and yet they are problem solvers. Uh, if we only invested in them and enabled them to be the leaders on climate that they can be. So I'm really not surprised. I must say, Zainab, that you're moving forward with Daughters for Earth. Seneca's 100 Women to Hear will be back after this short break. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like (sighs) being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. 
If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy. And we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. You have given a lot of focus to telling the stories of women because they're so powerful. And many of those stories come from the Arab world, something that you relate to very personally, but also from other places where they may be underrepresented. Why is this so important to do? Well, it's a very good question. I feel because we need to break the code of silence that many women were given as just part of being a woman. Do not talk about your rape. Do not talk about your harassment. Do not talk about your grievance. Do not talk about this. Do not talk about your molestation. Do not, you know, it's like the secret code. You know, we were told and, you know, when I came to America, the question was, oh, this is only happening in the development uh, world and thanks to the Me Too movement, which because I create, I think it created a unity among women of all classes and of colors and of all socioeconomic backgrounds that I am so grateful for. You know, and one of the the biggest movie star talks about her own uh, abuse. Uh, she is now in breaking her own silence, united with the with the most vulnerable woman in Congo, because then now that's an equality in, in our uh, in our speaking up. So I think women's story is so important to speak and to break that silence is to a break that code because you know when we stay silent to our abuse whatever that abuse may be we almost then um, make it possible we continue the legacy of the abuse and we pass it on from one woman to the other when we break our silence it's scary it may be you know shaking for our own personal life. Um, it's. I mean, when I when I broke my silence, I was scared. So, so to my core, I was scared. I was scared from my life, from my family's life, all of that. But what it did, it liberated me from from the chains of the secrets of the story. And in that liberation, in that freedom, I feel each one of us, when we do that journey for ourselves, we become individually a candle in another woman's dark cave. You know that here we there is a way out. There is a way to get out of that fear and the shame and and all the the sorrow and all the things that are put on us by just speaking up and calling it out, you know, and whoa, such a liberation in that. So that's why I focus on the women's story so much. And I I feel, I mean, as you know, I, I went to the Arab world and did a show for Arab women in there. And my goal there was to build small bridges between women. 
Because sometimes we only focus on building the big bridges between the West and the East, between, uh, you know, one continent to the other. But the truth is often we need small bridges as well from, you know, one community to the other, from one country to the other uh, in the same region. And and that's, you know, and, and that's where breaking the secrets and breaking, uh, breaking the codes of silence helps other ones like, wow. She is a Muslim and she's an Arab and she's still going through that and she's saying that. Wow. So sometimes that is even more important to break the, to build the small bridges than the bigger b- bridges between West and East. And that's really an important lesson, I think, for all of us to um, understand that putting a spotlight on these stories, enabling us to understand what others are going through and how similar that might be with people we'd never expect. You know, you mentioned the celebrity going through the same thing that a woman abused in the DRC uh, may experience and understand. Uh, So it is indeed very powerful. I know that uh, your new podcast has a, a very interesting approach. You've done so much for others, but its approach is different. Tell us about it. My new podcast called Redefined is coming up in a month. I'm in September. And it came out of my own, um, it's emotional for me. It's my own brush with death, to be honest. And um, that happened two years ago, just before um, COVID, actually exactly two years ago. And uh, it's so interesting because in that moment where I was grabbing, you know, grabbing for my last breath or first breath rather, you know, and there was a lot of intervention. I was in the ICU and, you know, the doctors were around me. But in that moment where I was able to take my first breath, you know, what, what came to me in that moment was not the, whether I got acknowledgement or awards or praises for my work, whether, you know, none of that matter. What mattered for me is had I did I live in kindness to myself and to, to people around me? Did I live in love to myself and to people around me? And it took me, I, I was very sick for about 10 months where I sort of cut off from the world um, as I recuperate and healed, slowly healed myself. Um, and it really took me to a very inward journey. I mean, I spent so much time traveling the world and helping women survivors of wars and telling their stories in my journalist career. And and yet that journey just took me to a very, 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 very personal, very intimate dialogue with myself. And out of that, you know, you know, I came to discover that there is um, the language of the heart, when I call it, you know, I'm, I'm tearing up as I think about it, because it's very personal and very raw still. And I really is like, okay, so if that's not what life is, you know, by measuring your success based on this and this and this, and mind you, I'm proud of, I'm grateful for the things I've accomplished in life, but that were not, you know, but how I went about it, the, how I drove myself all the way to the ground, how I compromised my well-being and health and all of that before the cause, that's what paid, you know, that's what hit me It's like, what oh, then? Then what is life, and what is the essence of life? And you know, what came is a profound connections to my heart, to my to nature, which I feel like was my cheerleader. It helped me walk again, and and breathe again, and to the divine. And I dedic- I decided to dedicate my life 
to do anything and everything I can do for this earth. I, I feel I owe it to earth and to contributing in all ways I know how to con- helping connecting to our hearts, to each other and to the world, to a, a new way and a different way. And what I ultimately came out of is that as we, as I'm, I'm an activist at the core of me, I'm, I'm, I'm here to be in service. I'm convinced that this is my purpose in this world. But that being in service to a cause should not always require us to sacrifice ourselves. That there is another way to value life and to and community and love and kindness and friendships, um, and not sacrifice this in, in with the goal of making a difference in in other aspects of our lives. So that's what redefine is about conversations with people to learn um, from them. Uh, the turning moments in their lives and what they have learned about the essence of life itself. Well, we'll all look forward to that. And it's so powerful just to hear you talk about it because it is so true that sometimes when we are in those moments of not knowing what's going to happen next, uh, we really get profound insights. And you're obviously sharing that with us and you will enable others to do that as well. We're just about out of time, Zainab, and this has been so rich. And I, I wonder if, as a last question, I could just ask you about how you see our world today. There is so much turmoil. We are still going through the horrible impacts of COVID. The wars continue. What gives you hope? What keeps you going? Is it the insights that you just shared with us? Partially. That is the insight that I shared. And partially, Milan, you know, I, my country, my country of origin, Iraq, is destroyed, right? It's destroyed. My, I haven't seen my family in nine years. I didn't see my family in nine years and all that. And I look, um, I look at my life, just my personal life and my personal encounters with life, right? People who lived in wars and all of that. And, and I look my own near-death experience and what I came to learn from ultimately is to trust life, to trust life. And so, you know, if we are to go back to my own home country, Iraq, there has been an amazing youth revolution in Iraq. So I trust youth and they could give me hope and optimism. I trust women. You know, they, we have, we're living in an era so exciting that women are not about to step back, you know, and that's exciting. I trust that. I trust their uh, women's voices and fiercenessness. I trust, I, I, I trust life. I don't know how to say I trust life. And so I, you know, things don't, I mean, they're still right and wrong. And I still have to act on the wrongs and do everything I can on it. And now I believe that goodness shall triumph and hope is, shall triumph. And at the end of the day, love is bigger than all. I just believe that. I, I, and I'm a witness of that in my personal life and in the lives of people I worked with. So that keeps me going. And, and I'm not exaggerating in what I'm about to say. It keeps me going to know there are women like you, Milan, and I'm very serious, who lives with so much integrity and dedication and purpose and love and sharing and support you know, when there are people like that in the world, of course, we have to stay optimistic and believing that it's going to be okay. It's, 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 the turmoil of the moment is hard, but it's also leading to some good changes. And I'm optimistic about the changes to come. 
Well, Zainab, I wish we could go on talking for a lot longer, but we're all so grateful to you. And I know that our listeners will be inspired by what you said and for giving us that powerful message, your life's experience and your insights about what matters, because in the end, that is what truly does matter. So thank you so, so much, Zainab Salbi, for your example and for all that you do and will continue to do to make the world a better place. Thank you. Thank you, Mila. Thank you very, very much. It's impossible not to be inspired and energized by Zainab Salbi. Here are three things I took from that conversation. First, Zainab says that if you want to know how a country is doing politically and economically, look at how it treats its women. That will give you an indication of how conditions are for everyone. And if you look at Afghanistan today, where women are once again being repressed by the Taliban, you'll get a clear idea of where that country is headed. Second, Despite setbacks in places like Afghanistan, Zainab has great hope for the future. The 21st century, she says, is the feminist century. More than ever, women are speaking up for their rights. They know their power, and they won't go backward. Finally, Zainab reminds us that no matter how much we accomplish, each of us needs to have a dialogue with ourselves to determine what we need for our own well-being and health. She calls that the language of the heart. And it's a language we can all learn to speak. Tune in next Thursday to hear about our next featured woman and discover why she's one of Seneca's 100 Women to Hear. Seneca's 100 Women to Hear is a collaboration between the Seneca Women Podcast Network and iHeartRadio with support from founding partner P&G. Have a great day. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy. And we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. 
Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org.